5, continuing our verse-by-verse, book-by-book, chapter-by-chapter study through the book of Genesis. And you know what? We at least turn towards the right direction here a little bit. Yeah. Genesis 35. Oh, Genesis 35. No, that's okay. Genesis 35. So... We're at least moving in the right direction. If you weren't with us last week, what happened was a couple chapters ago, Jacob, the man we've been studying, he's got his uh, four wives. And once again, don't take that as a pattern to set after yourself, but he has his four wives. At this time, he has his 11 boys. And the Lord has said for him to move out of the area and head back to Bethel. Bethel is where he really got right with the Lord. And God is basically saying, get back to where you're supposed to be. Now, that's a good teaching point. Get back to where the Lord wants you to be. A lot of times in life, we're not where God wants us to be. Our life is falling apart, and we wonder why it's falling apart. Because we're not where the Lord has called us to be. Well, so God called him to go back to Bethel. The problem was, he doesn't go to Bethel. He goes to this place called by the name of Shechem. He gets into major trouble in Shechem. In Genesis 34, I won't repeat everything, but in Genesis 34, their daughter, Dinah, gets raped in Shechem. And she's basically taken, if you will, almost as a hostage in this town. The men of Shechem come to Jacob and say, we now want to have a deal with you. You can marry our daughters. You've got 11 boys. We can work this deal out. Simeon and Levi decide to have this great plan. Simeon and Levi, two of the 11 boys, then go to the men of Shechem and says, we'll make this deal with you. We'll come. And we'll marry your daughters. You can marry us. And we'll have this great time together. The only catch is, according to our faith and our beliefs, you need to be circumcised to do this. The men of Shechem, so bad, wanted to be with them and to have their possessions and that power with them. They agreed to this term. So they went ahead and all the men of Shechem were circumcised. Three days later, as the Bible says, they were in pain. Simeon and Levi come into the town and to slaughter every man in the city of Shechem. That's what we talked about last week. Not a real good pick-me-up, feel-good, walk out of church on Wednesday night saying amen. What do we say here about these things? This is the truth of the Bible. The Bible presents the good, the bad, and the ugly. It really does. You know, I like to joke about this when somebody comes to me and says, how do you know the Bible's true? Because if mankind really wrote the Bible, we would not have included Genesis 34. We would not. There'd be no reason why we'd want to include that chapter. Nothing good comes out of that chapter. That's the truth of it. So that leaves us where we're at today. We leave in this awful mess. Dinah was raped. The men came and slaughtered this town. What are they going to do? Genesis 35, verse 1, Then God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel, and dwell there, and make an altar there to God, who appeared to you when you fled from the face of Esau, your brother. God gets a hold of Jacob, the patriarch, and says, Listen, you've got to get back to Bethel. Bethel represents where God wants you to be. I don't know what your Bethel is, but you have a place where the Lord wants you to be, and that's where he's called you to be. And basically, God is saying to Jacob, go to the spot where I've called you, and that's where the blessings will be. When you ignore that calling and you place yourself in Shechem, you get yourself in trouble. So God calls Jacob to go do this. And really what you see here in Genesis 35 is Jacob really repenting and changing and becoming the man of God that he's supposed to be. So he goes to Bethel, verse 2, And Jacob said to his household and to all that were with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you. Purify yourself and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel, and I will make an altar there to my God, who answered me in the day of my distress and has been with me in the way which I have gone. So they gave Jacob all their foreign gods which were in their hands and their earrings which were in their ears. And Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree which was by Shechem. Keep your hand here in Genesis 35. Can you go with me to Revelation chapter 2 please? What you really see in Genesis 35 is Jacob trying to become the man of God 
that God called him to be. One of my favorite chapters in the Bible is in the book of Romans, and it's a really honest chapter. Paul's writing this chapter, and he basically says this. The man I am right now is not the man I want to be. The man I want to be, I never seem to be that man. The man I don't want to be is the way I always act. Have you ever looked at yourself in the mirror of life and think, isn't that the way it is? Lord, I want to be different. I want my speech to be different. I want my actions to be different. I want to be a different father. I want to be a different mother, a different husband, a different wife, etc. I want to be different. But then you wake up the next day and you do the exact same things again. Then you lay in bed at night and you say the same thing. I want to be different. And it's this constant repeat thing. And you just want to stop and say, Lord, I want to get off this roller coaster. How do you get out of that rut of life where you find yourself making the same dumb choices again and again and again? And the next thing you know, you look at your life and you're in your 30s, your 40s, your 50s, what have you. And you say, this is not who I want to be. What do you do? Well, look here at Revelation chapter 2. And this is to the church at Ephesus. This is Jesus speaking to the church. And I just want to focus on a couple words here. Start in verse 4. Jesus commends them in verses 2 and 3, but then he says this in verse 4, Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from this place unless you repent. I took you here because I want you to see two words in verse 5. Those two words are remember and repent. The two R's. If you want things to be different in your life, you need to do the two R's. The first thing you need to do is repent. Repent means to change. It means to literally do a 180 degree change. It's time to change. Now, here's the thing. You try to repent on your own. You can do it for a while. I mean, I know people that struggle with alcohol. I'm going to quit drinking. They can go a day or two, a few weeks, maybe even a month or two. But until their heart has been changed, they're going to jump right back in the same habits. I know guys that look at websites they shouldn't look at. I'm going to quit looking at that junk. Yeah, they do that for a few days. I'm never going to say those words again. I'm never going to gossip like that again. I'm never going to lose my temper. You have some power within yourself to attempt to do it for a while. But the problem is you can't change your own heart. There has to be a literal repent of where you stop and you say, Lord, that action is wrong and sinful. It's hurting me. It's hurting my relationship with you. It's hurting my relationship with others. I want to change. And then, according to also verse 5, remember. Remember what it was like when you were spiritually strong. Now, there's two ways to take that. If you're born again and saved here tonight, think back to when you were strong spiritually. The strongest time in your walk. I'm willing to bet the strongest time in your walk, you were in prayer, you were in the Word, you were in service, you were in fellowship, and your life was inundated with God. Remember what you were doing at those times. Now, if you're not saved and you're here tonight and you can't remember the time, that means you need to know who Christ is. Because... There has to be a time time where we stop and we say, Lord, you've got to be number one. We've been saying this little phrase lately. We said it Sunday out here at church. There's a lot of part-time Christians that want full-time benefits. It doesn't work that way. I want to put a minimal effort into my relationship with Lord. I believe in a God. I believe that He exists. I believe the Bible's kind of true. And I really just kind of believe in the system of God and church. But I'm really not ready to give my life 100% over to Him part-time work, you're not going to get full-time benefits out of that. It doesn't work that way. So what do we need to do? The two R's. Verse 5, remember and repent. Remember and repent. Now remember that. Jump back to Genesis 35. What does Jacob do? He does those two things. Verse 2, he repents. Put away the foreign gods that are among you. Purify yourself and change your garments. He says it's time to be done. 
We know that when Jacob's family left, they took their little idols with them. Jacob says, enough of this. Let's get rid of this junk. Change your garments. That is a biblical idea that you are now going to be a new person. You're getting rid of that old sinful clothing, if you will, and now you're going to put on a new set of clothes. Revelation talks about this, where it talks about this idea of putting on a white garment. I'm a new person. So the first thing you see there is repent. And then this idea of verse 3, let us arise and go up to Bethel. Remember, Bethel is where he had his first encounter with God. Remember, let's go back to Bethel. And what am I going to do there? I'm going to make an altar there to my God, an altar, a visible reminder of my walk and relationship with the Lord. So repent, verse 2. Remember, verse 3. You put those two together, that's a pretty good combination. I don't know where you're at spiritually here when you come in here tonight, but if there's things in your life that need to change, the two R's. Repent, get rid of it through the Lord, then remember where you were spiritually strong. Go back to that place in your life. I don't mean literally physically. I'm saying spiritually, go back to that time where you knew that that's where the Lord had you and they were calling you. Now, what's the result of this? Verse 4, they gave up their foreign gods... They got rid of the earrings there that represented that. And what did they do? They went and hid them. They dug them up and buried them. Great visual picture there. Burying that past. Getting rid of it. There's a great verse in the book of Micah. Micah chapter 7. Where it talks about casting our sin into the deepest part of the sea. Think about that. What the deepest part of the sea, if I remember correctly. What is that? That's about six and a half, seven miles deep. Can you imagine going and dropping your car keys and saying, hey, I'm going to go catch those? No, it's gone forever. You're not getting those things back. That's the idea of sin. God says, let me take your sin and cast it away completely. That's what he wants to do. That's the idea of repenting, casting it away, getting rid of it completely. Then you remember where you need to go, and spiritually you go there. Just ask yourself a simple question tonight. Right now, where you're at, is this where you think the Lord wants you to be spiritually? If it is, amen, move forward, praise God. If it's not, repent, remember, let's make those changes that need to happen. Now, before we move on with this, anybody got any quick questions, comments on this first section here of Jacob getting his life in order and where he's supposed to be? Ryan. Yeah, and I agree with you in two points on that. The first point is this. There's nothing in the Bible to say that Jacob was worshiping those gods. We know that his uh, wives brought those with them, specifically Rachel. So it wasn't him doing it, but you bring up a good point. Here's this man of God that literally met the real God, but yet allowed this in his home. And to be quite honest, and I don't want to go on a tangent here, but when you don't have strong spiritual leadership in a house, the house is going to falter and fall. And that's what's going to happen. And what you see here is Jacob, for the 20 years or 20 plus years that he's been the leader of this family, he hasn't been a good spiritual leader. And to be quite honest, one of the epidemics, I think, facing the church in, in America today is we have a lot of guys that proclaim God, but they don't know what it means to be a spiritual leader. And Jacob is finally starting to take the reins and saying, listen, I'm responsible for this family. I'm going to be that spiritual leader, and this is what we're going to do. I think you bring up a good point there, Ryan. Rose. Well, actually, um, Jacob married a non-believer. 
Well, that's the hard part is Jacob went back to the area where they were doing the false gods. Yeah. Jacob, I mean, listen, it's, it's, this is what's the honesty of the Bible. We're talking about Jacob here, repenting and getting right with God. Amen. Jacob, you got right with God with your four wives. I mean, there's some, there's some oxymoron going on here a little bit. And I think Jacob we can really relate to because there's moments of spiritual strength with Jacob where we stop. Like right now, we can relate to this guy. Oh, man, I want to repent. I want to get to where I'm supposed to be. Amen. But then there's still these ideas of the flesh that he allowed. He did marry into this family that did bring false gods into this. And he did have the four wives. There's a lot of choices we can't agree with Jacob. And I think sometimes that makes it very relatable because I look at my spiritual life and it's like, wow, Lord, I have these great spiritual successes followed by these awful failures. Jacob is an honest guy, but at this point we see him wanting to make good godly choices. This is what he's doing now. We'll see what happens here in a couple chapters, though. Anybody else have anything here before we move on? Alrighty, so we see them, we take them, verse 4, they hide them. So all's good, right? Verse 5, and they journeyed, and the terror of God was upon the cities that were all around them, and they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. So Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan, and he and all the people who were with him. And he built an altar there and called the place El Bethel, because there God appeared to him when he fled from the face of his brother. Now, what it says right here that the terror of the people were upon him, verse 5, what it basically means is they were walking through this foreign land. Nobody would dare attack them because basically they knew these were God's people and they didn't want to mess with that. The point is kind of simple. When you get things in order, guess what happens? Things just go better. How's this for the simplest point that you've heard all evening? When you do things according to the Bible, things just go better. If I get up in the morning and have time of devotions, my day goes better. When I get up and have time of devotions with Dawn, day goes better with between Dawn and I. If I make sure I have time with prayer with my kids, the day just goes better. Now, that does not mean that bad things do not happen in my life, but when those rough things happen, I'm better spiritually prepared for what is in store. Just stop and think of the simplicity of this. When I do the things that God asks me to do, for me personally, as a father, as a husband, as a brother in the Lord, as a man of God, Things just go better. Jacob, you got right with the Lord. Things just go better. Does this mean that nothing bad ever happens to you? No. Verse 8, now Deborah, Rebecca's nurse died, and she was buried below Bethel under the terebinth tree. So the name of it was called Alan Bakath, which that means the idea of the terebinth of weeping, this tree of weeping. Now you may remember Deborah. She wasn't named earlier, but we're pretty sure this is the same gal that would have been back in Genesis 24. This would have been his mom's Maid, nurse, if you will. And so what happens is what we can kind of piece together, this is the assumption that we assume this is the same gal, and what happens is probably that Jacob's mother has passed away, and so therefore she came then and stayed with Jacob. I guess to me the point of verse 8 is this. There's ups and downs in life. I mean, think back to the book of Ecclesiastes. There's time of joy, there's time of sorrow. Listen, you you may have had a bad day at work today. You're going to get up tomorrow, and tomorrow may be a great day at work. Now, let's be kind of disappointing now. You may have had a great day at work today. You may get up tomorrow and have a bad day at work. So at one point here, the terror of God is upon these people, and Jacob is walking in strength and might. Next thing you know, verse 8, a loved one is dying. That's the world we live in. That is the world we live in. Of I'm feeling good today, tomorrow I'm sick. Hey, this is a great day. This is a great month. All the bills are paid. Next month, my washer, my dryer, my car breaks. But you know through those ups and downs of life, guess what's consistent? The Lord's consistent. 
And so the Lord is the consistency of your foundation that gets you through everything. Verse 9, Then God appeared to Jacob again when he came to Padan Aram and blessed him. And then God said to him, Your name is Jacob. Your name shall not be called Jacob anymore, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. And also God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall proceed from you, and kings shall come from your body. The land which I gave Abraham and Isaac I give to you and to your descendants after you I give this land. Then God went up from him in the place where he talked with him. So Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he talked with them, a pillar of stone, and he poured a drink offering on it, and he poured oil on it. And Jacob called the name of the place where God spoke with him Bethel. Bethel means house of God. Now, a couple points on this. God doesn't want you to be the same. If I run into somebody who says they got saved, and I can't tell a difference between their before Christ life and their after Christ life, I have to stop and ask, what did God save you from? I run into a lot of people that claim to be saved in Christ, and I see them living the same type of life they've always lived. What exactly did God change in your life? Because the Lord wants to come in and make things different. So what you see here with Jacob is he gets a name change. Verse 10. Name change. Shows a new man. Shows a new person. One of the fun things in life is picking the name. You know, picking the name. When you have kids, you get to decide the name. Anytime you get a pet, you get to decide. We had, we had eight kittens born this year at our house. So the boys got to name them. They just loved it. We just got a hermit crab. They wanted to name him. I remember, though, we got a dog a few years ago. Not the dog we have now, but the dog we had a while ago. And we got him from the pound, and his name was Chance. You've heard me tell this story before. His name was Chance. So we didn't like the name Chance. We're big Atlanta Braves fans, so we named him Maddox. So we brought him home. So we're calling him Maddox and all this other type of stuff. He got out soon after we got him, and he's just running full steam down the road. So I'm running after him, yelling, Maddox, yeah, come back. You know, Maddox, come back. Nothing. And I remembered his name, Chance. So I yelled, Chance. Stopped, turned around, and came back home. Now, the reason I bring this up is you're a new believer, a new creation in Christ. God has given you a new name. You know what the problem is sometimes? You're more used to your old name and your old lifestyle. It's a little more comfortable. It's a little more easy. It's a little more fun. And so when you look at yourself as being new in the Lord, it's hard to adapt to this. See, God had already told Jacob before that your name is Israel. Jacob didn't really go with that. He wanted to stick to being Jacob. You remember what Jacob's name means? Deceit. What you finally see here in Genesis 35 is actually Jacob being referred to as Israel. Actually starting to happen. And didn't that happen in your life? I remember my life. I remember when I got saved. I got saved. Fall of 1993. I remember distinctly being in the white building beside the bank there that's now the library. I remember raising my hand, accepting the altar call, accepting Christ as my Savior. And I remember going home and sinning. I remember getting up the next day and sinning. And then I remember as time going on, realizing this sinning thing is not as fun as it used to be. It's starting to feel really gross. It's really starting to feel disgusting. I don't like it anymore. And I started realizing I'm a new person in the Lord. My, my life is different. Now, I still stumble and fall in sin today. I don't want to make this sound like perfection. But you reach a point where you stop and you say, I, I don't want this anymore. Jacob had to reach a point where he said, I don't want to be Jacob anymore. I want to be, I want to be Israel. You know, Jesus told the church in Pergamos in the book of Revelation, part of being saved is you get a new name. A new identity. You are now a new creation, the Bible says. You are now a new creation in Christ Jesus. That's what the Lord does. The old is gone, the new has come. And when you really stop and you think about what the old was and represented, you don't want that anymore. 
So what you see happening here is Jacob now understanding who he is in the Lord. He is Israel. He's a new person. So he sets up this pillar, verse 14. He does two things. He pours oil on it, and he pours a drink offering on it. Oil in the Bible always represents the Holy Spirit. Drink offering was done with wine. What does wine represent? The blood of Jesus Christ. So what you see here, what does a real relationship with Christ have? Two things. It has the blood of Jesus and it has the anointing of the Holy Spirit. If you have those two things, you're going to do fine. Because when you have the blood of Jesus, it means that your sins have been forgiven. You're now a new creation in the Lord. You have a new name. You have a new walk with the Lord. And then you also have the Holy Spirit, that oil representing a newness of who the Holy Spirit is. You can't have one without the other. And if you really want to be a new person, it means a relationship with Christ, and it means the role of the Holy Spirit. Jacob had both, and you see the blessing that comes out of that. Now, before we move on here, because it kind of changes gears here real quick, maybe got any quick questions, comments about anything we covered here, is Jacob is really becoming this man Israel that God called him to be. Okay. Well, once again, things are going good. Verse 16. Then they journeyed from Bethel, and when they were there but a little distance to go to Ephrath, Rachel labored in childbirth, and she had hard labor. Now it came to pass when she was in hard labor that the midwife said to her, Do not fear, you will have this son also. So it was as her soul was departing, for she died, that she called his name Ben-Ani, which means son of my sorrow. But his father called him Benjamin, which means son of my right hand. So Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. And Jacob set a pillar on her grave, which is the pillar of Rachel's grave to this day. Then Israel journeyed and pitched his tent beyond the tower of Eder. And it happened when Israel dwelt in the land that Reuben went and lay with Billah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard about it. Now, once again, the honesty of the Bible. Now, if we were making the Hollywood Christian version, uh, Jacob would have got saved, and we would have skipped Genesis 34, and we would not have had this part in here, because everybody knows as soon as you accept Jesus as your Savior, everything goes perfect and wonderful for you. The truth is, as a born-again believer in Christ, I still live in a fallen world. And in a fallen world, people still get cancer. In a fallen world, people still have accidents. In a fallen world, there's still death, destruction, because that's there to remind me this is not my home. And so some of you here are born again, saved, and walking in Christ, and your world right now has a lot of sorrow in it. Maybe it's sorrow of losing a loved one. Maybe it's the sorrow of life. This is just a tough time for you. And so we see Rachel dying. Rachel, this is his beloved wife. I mean, this is, this is the one he wanted. He wanted Rachel, but got Leah. So if he had to rank his wives, even though it's his wife number two, this is really his number one wife. This is the one he wanted. And she died. Died during the tragedy of childbirth. And what you see here, I take this as, this world is a tortured place sometimes. It really honestly is. And I tell you, a lot of times as a pastor, I get asked why questions. Why did this happen? Why did my loved one die? And one of the things I always tell you is, I can't answer why questions. You know, Isaiah 55 makes it clear that God's ways are not my ways and God's thoughts are not my thoughts. His ways and his thoughts are bigger than me and higher than me. I got my own why questions. And really, the longer I walk with the Lord, the more I realize it's a faith thing. I just need to trust you, Lord, because your word says that you are good and you do good. Your word says that you work for the good in all things. But you know what? During the moment of sadness and sorrow when those why questions pop up, oh, it's awful. It's awful. You're talking to a loved one that just had 
their dear child or their husband or wife and they just died tragically. And they're sitting here and they look at you and you say, why? Why? And I tell you, it's tough. I just had a situation that popped up. It was, it was a while ago and it was somebody that used to attend out here and they moved away and we kept in touch. And they had something happen to their wife. And they called me the first time and said, hey, my wife's not doing good. Will you pray? Yeah, we prayed. Followed up, wife's doing worse. Will you pray? Yeah, we'll, we'll pray. And it was just one of those fluke accident type things that just kept getting worse. Finally, he called me up and said, they said she's not going to make it. Oh, you know, you start thinking, okay, what's going to happen? And then about 5 o'clock in the morning, he called me up and said she died. And you stop and you think, what just happened? I mean, this, this woman that I was like in her late 30s, this freak thing happens, and now she's dead? And then you got this husband on the phone who's just, you know, in tears, and, and why? And the only thing you can think of, the only thing I could think of that time was Jeremiah 29, 11. And I remember telling him, saying, God says this, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They're plans not to harm you, but to bring you a peace. And it's during those dark times that I think sometimes we try to think too much of why, when really it's during those difficult times, you just need to go back to the basics of the Bible. Jesus loves me, this I know. And that's the simplicity of what we hold on to. Now, this is why the world mocks us and makes fun of us. And I'm completely okay with that. Because a simple faith gets me through very difficult times. And what I see here is Jacob finally getting it right. I mean, seriously, he's finally getting it right. He's setting up pillars. We got this great picture of the Holy Spirit. We got this great picture of Jesus. Everything is great. And then Rachel dies. I mean, have you ever had that moment spiritually? It's like, Lord, I'm in your word. I'm serving a church. I'm witnessing. I'm doing everything right. And this, this is the blessing that comes out of that. This. And to even throw one step further, verse 22. And it happened when Israel dwelt in the land that Reuben went in and lay with Billah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard about it. So basically, his oldest son now goes sleeps with his wife. This is just a mess. I've come to the conclusion that just because I know Jesus as my Savior does not mean that I will not have messes in my life. And I think sometimes I think in Christianity we present a false idea of Christianity. Come to Jesus and everything will be perfect. Come to Jesus and you're saved. You will still have these messes in life. Now, why did they tell us about verse 22 about Reuben going and sleeping with Billah? Because in a couple of chapters here, Jacob has to give the blessings. And he's got this amazing blessing. And the blessing is that the Messiah comes through his lineage. Well, guess what? Reuben was just disqualified. <laughs> Sleeping with the mom. Not his mom, but one of Jacob's wives there. Simeon and Levi are disqualified. They're out there massacring towns. So guess what? God in his infinite wisdom takes us to who? Judah. And that's where the tribe that has the Messiah that comes through this. We have a quick reminder, and we're running out of time, verses 23 through 26. Just some reminders of the kids. And then verses 27 through 29, we have the death of Isaac. Isaac was 180 years old. Real quick reminder here. If you remember, if you remember when Isaac wanted to bless his son Esau, he called his son and said, listen, I'm going to die. So I want to give my blessing to you. And Jacob stole the blessing. Isaac lived about 50 years after that. So anytime someone comes up to me and they think they're up to the end of the rope, sometimes you're not as close to the end of the rope as you think you're going to end the end of the rope. Isaac, for 50 years, convinced himself he was going to die. So just remember, God love you. And I'm not thinking of anybody individually when I say this. If you're a little bit of a drama-filled person that, woe is me, it's the end, 
it may not be as close to the end as you think it is. Trust in the Lord, have faith, and just keep your eyes on Christ. That's what gets you through this there. So we got to kind of end abruptly here. i got a couple final thoughts, but real quick, and you got anybody final questions, comments here before we close up? Okay. What you see here with Jacob is really a neat story of a guy getting it right. Getting his real relationship with right. Repenting. Lord, I am not right with you. I need to get right with you. There is a heaven. There is a hell. I want to be right with you. Remembering of where he's supposed to be spiritually. And then going to that spot spiritually. And then through this death, the death of Deborah, the death of his wife, still staying focused on the Lord. Through the difficult times of Reuben being with his wife, even through the ups and downs, you see a man that's now saying, I am focused and committed to the Lord. Setting up altars, setting up pillars and saying, I am planting my feet here. I am putting myself here because this is where God called me to be. Jacob is becoming the man of God we want him to be. He still has some ups and downs coming, but we see him becoming this man of God that God had called him to be. What I take out of that is this. Lord, am I where you want me to be? If I'm where you want me to be, Lord, then by golly, let's set up the pillars, the altars, and let's go forward in Christ. If I'm not where God wants me to be spiritually in my life, it's time to repent and remember and become that man of God or woman of God that he's called you to be. Hey, let's close with a word of prayer and we'll let you guys go. Heavenly Father, good to be here this evening. And Lord, I just want to pray for those two words, repent and remember. Lord, help us to do that. If there's someone here tonight that needs to get right with you. I pray that right now there's just a time where they are just seeking you and just stopping and saying, this is not where I want to be spiritually. If there's someone here tonight that does not know you, reveal to them who you are. You are Jesus Christ who died on the cross for their sins to save them from heaven. Excuse me, save them from hell and give them to heaven, Lord. Lord, if there's somebody here that needs to remember and go back, help them to have strength to become that person you've called them to be and to go to that place you've called them to be. Thank you, Lord. And through the ups and downs of life, help us to always stay focused on you and all that we say and all that we do. In your name we pray. Amen. Hey, real quick, just two things here as we, we let you guys go. And I know it's a little hair after eight. If you've got something you want to pray about tonight, come grab me. You know, I know normally on Wednesday we don't do the altar call type thing. Come grab me. If you've got something you want to pray about and you're like, man, this is not where I want to be spiritually. Come find me. We'll pray with you tonight. And one other thing I just want to let you know, please continue to keep in prayer. We've been talking about starting up these small group studies here at church. We're finalizing this. And I just wanted to keep, keep you updated on this. I ask you to keep this in prayer. If this is something you want to get involved with, let us know. If this is something you're interested in attending, let us know. We think this could be a real blessing to the church. And we just want to see if the body wants to get behind this. So keep that in prayer as well. So you guys have a good week. God bless. Be safe out there. And we'll catch you later then, okay?